Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Hey everybody, welcome. This is Marnie Swedberg. Excited to have you with us this afternoon for our program for authors and writers called Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors. And during this hour, you're going to discover the secrets of proofreading your manuscripts for typos and other errors, the industry standard reference guides for punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling, the differences between punctuation rules for books, articles, and magazines, reasons why it's important to carefully proofread everything you send out, including emails, the most common punctuation errors writers make, commonly misused words, the funniest type of grammar mistake, and commonly misspelled words that not, are not the ones you think of. And our guest today, Kathy Ide, is the author of Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors and also the editor and compiler of the Fiction Lovers Devotional Series. She is a full-time freelance editor and writing mentor, working with new writers, established writers, and book publishers. And her website is kathyide.com. That's Kathy with a K and I-D-E.com. Welcome to you, Kathy. Thank you, Marnie. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And like I was telling you before we started, I am your best student. I am your most needed. <laughs> I sit at your feet. <laughs> no, I am. I'm so not a perfectionist, Kathy. That that this is an area where I need a lot of help. I, I usually hire help to um, make sure that my stuff looks halfway decent when it goes out because I'm just so not into. Uh, I just don't see them. I I really don't see the typos and things like that. That's so maybe. Is that right? Is that more common? Yeah, most people can't see their, their own typos. I mean, you know, your mind reads what it expects to see. And so your mind just kind of translates what you're reading into what it thinks you're, it's supposed to be. So it's really hard to check your own. Your so own I'm mind. normal. Yes, perfectly. Oh, that, that's comforting. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you actually have some secrets of proofreading our manuscripts, though, for typos and errors. So why don't you just launch right into that? Well, you know, um, I, I compiled a section of this book from a lot of the multi-published authors I know, and they gave me their tips for proofreading for, cool. for typos and errors in their manuscripts. And uh, they, came, they gave me some great ideas uh, for catching typos. I mean, you know, a, a typo can be anything. It can be a mistyped word. Um, it can be missing words. It can be missing punctuation, um, even formatting errors. All kinds of things, you know, are considered to be typos. And spell check is great, but you can't rely on it to check everything. Uh -huh. You know, it doesn't right. catch words that are real words, just not the right word for the context. Um, so a lot of my authors suggested reading the manuscript out loud. There's something about reading it out loud that makes you stop and not read quite so fast, so you're more likely to catch the typos that are in there. Or to have someone else read the manuscript to you. When they're reading it to you, they're only reading the words that are there. So if there's something that's missing, um, you might be able to catch that. And then also to let the manuscript sit for a few days. You know, when you, you're fresh, it's fresh in your mind, you're not going to catch those typos as well as if you put it away for a while and bring it back up. Or maybe to just print out your manuscript. There's something about reading it in print that's different about than reading it on your screen. So those are just a few of the, of the uh, suggestions that I got from other authors. I like that. And one of the ones that I've heard, and it takes a little bit, it takes a little bit longer, but on a shorter work or a shorter article or what a blog post like that, if you just go through it backwards, and it's so funny, 
you don't even have to read it. A lot of times if you just go through it backwards, just kind of, it's amazing what will jump out to you. Yes, um, as a matter of fact, that's, that's one of the suggestions I got too from, uh, from author Lynette Sowell. She suggested that, that too. And you're right, it's better to do that on a short piece because the thought of reading your entire book manuscript oh my goodness. back to front <laughs> is way too intimidating. But if you wanted to just check a chapter or even a section or like you said, a short piece, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, um, you know, too, I think that letting it sit is a really great idea. It's amazing. Like you say, I I often feel like when I write something, it's like, oh, this was just so great. And I come back to it and I read it after a day or a week or even a year or whatever. And it's like, wow, that really needs a lot of work. (laughs) And yet, sometimes you'll read it a year later or a few months later and say, wow, did I write that? That's actually pretty good. I'm not sure if I've ever experienced that. So uh, that that's a that's an experience for me yet to have. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's great. And there, you know, one of the things that you t- teach people and talk about is that there's some really different standards depending, you know, for punctuation usage, grammar like that. And there's some guides that can help us with that. So maybe tell us a little bit about what are your favorites and, um, you know, are there different guides for the different types of things? Well, you know, there are, and um, a lot of people, when they start to write, don't realize them. Um, The book industry, the book publishing industry, uses the Chicago Manual of Style for punctuation and grammar. Uh, It's really fat, hardback, you know, sells for like 65 bucks, but you can get it used. Um, Just make sure you get the most recent 16th edition because the rules do change from one to the next. But the Chicago Manual of Style is what the book publishing industry uses um, for punctuation and grammar. So it's really good to follow those guidelines when you're writing a book manuscript. Um, The Chicago Manual of Style recommends Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary for spelling and usage. So believe it or not, not all the dictionaries agree on spellings. (laughs) You would think they would, but they don't. So Merriam-Webster's Collegiate is the one for book publishing. And uh, and then, of course, the the Christian Writer's Manual of Style contains some added things for specifically Christian writing. Uh, You know, what terms to capitalize, um, you know, specific terms that have to do with, um, with, with quoting scripture verses, that sort of thing. The, the Christian Writer's Manual style is excellent for that. Now, for articles, especially journalistic style articles, newspapers, they use a different reference book. They use the Associated Press Style Guide. And that style guide recommends Webster's New World College Dictionary. <laughs> So a different dictionary and a different style guide depending on what you're what you're writing. Now newsletters oftentimes will use the Associated Press just like newspapers, but a lot of your popular style magazines will go by the Chicago Manual uh just like the book publishing does. Wow. So that's that's pretty interesting. Now, um how how critical is it to a submission that you have followed these well, when, if you're submitting to one of the big publishing houses, you really want to use the Chicago Manual um, and, and, their, and their Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. And the reason for that is that these publishers, the acquisitions editors, they're used to seeing manuscripts that have been polished according to those guidelines, and they'll notice things 
that aren't quite right. They'll notice whether the punctuation is right. And that's important because if your manuscript is polished according to the industry standard guidelines, it will look more professional, it will make you look more professional, and you'll have a little bit of an edge over maybe another manuscript that they're considering that maybe they like that topic too, but it's not as clean as yours. And if they know that their in-house editors and proofreaders are going to have to go through and fix a whole bunch of mistakes on one manuscript, whereas they won't have to work so hard on the other manuscript, that's going to possibly get into the decision-making process of which manuscript they accept to publish. It is kind of a difference, too, between looking like a professional and looking like an amateur. If you haven't taken the time to do that, uh, and again, it's apples to apples, except for that one thing, they'll probably lean toward the professional. Well, and the other thing is, you know, if, if you're writing a book, the publisher is trusting that you've done your research on the content of the book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. And if they notice a lot of errors in punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling, they may think, well, gosh, did this person do their research on the content? Because they didn't do their research on the punctuation and grammar and spelling. So it, it puts that into question. It puts that question into their minds, and you don't want that when you want them to consider your content as well as you as an author. Wow, that's amazing. So now, when how about blogs? Which which does that kind of go toward? Articles and newsletters, or? Well, I think it depends on who your target market is. Um, if like for myself, if I'm writing a blog, I want to make sure that all of my punctuation goes according to book industry rules because I'm appealing mostly to people who write books or people who read books. You know, um, so if, you're, if your target market huh. is writers of, of book-length manuscripts or your target market is writers of articles, you would want to kind of go by whichever one they're used to reading and whichever one you want them to go by. I know in my blogs, sometimes I'll have some one question, um, you know, a punctuation or, you know, a usage or a spelling in one of my blogs, and they'll say, did I catch a mistake in one of yours? Because I'm <laughs> right. So I think it just depends on who your target audience is and what they're hmm. used to seeing. Interesting. That's really great advice. So this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with our guest, Kathy Ida of KathyIda.com. Kathy spelled with a K and I-D-E.com. We're going to come back and talk about the differences between punctuation rules for books, articles, and magazines, and why it's important to carefully proofread everything you send out. We'll be right back. Okay, and it's time for today's womenspeakers.com feature. Today's winning speaker is Carrie Scott of Loveland, Colorado. Carrie Scott is a speaker who is available over at womenspeakers.com, including her bio, her favorite talks, her recommendations from people who've heard her speak, her, like her books, CDs, or things like that. And if you're an event coordinator or speaker booker, be sure to check out Carrie Scott of Loveland, Colorado, as well as all of the other Christian women speakers over at womenspeakers.com encourage you to do that and there are over a thousand speakers over there now there's no middleman no waiting no fees and it's completely free for you to search womenspeakers.com okay kathy welcome back we are going to talk now about the differences between punctuation rules for books articles and magazines great sounds good okay so let's start with 
um, one that I get in a fight with my editors all the time over. <laughs> so we'll let you be the rule breaker. Uh, when there's commas in a list, um, you know, red, yellow, and blue. <laughs> when do you add that comma before the and and when don't you? You know, that's a, that's probably the most common question I get. And um, and that is one of the biggest, the most obvious, I think, differences between the two. For, for book manuscripts, the Chicago Manual style says to use that serial comma every single time. But for journalistic style articles and newspapers, uh, the Associated Press style guide says only use it when required for clarity. You know, if the sentence could be misunderstood without the comma, then put it in. Otherwise, you don't. And people are so used to seeing it done the second way that sometimes that's just what they think is the standard. And I think that's oftentimes what you learn in college. And so then when they write their book manuscript, that's the rule that they follow is only put it in if you need it for clarity. And you need it every time if you're writing a book manuscript. I like to keep it straight in my mind, and this is how I understood it too, but I like to keep it straight in my mind by thinking of shorter work, less commas. Absolutely <laughs> Longer work, more commas. That is very true, and, and that's why I, I believe that reason exists, is because when you have a newspaper article, you have to fit that article into a precise word count, a precise character count, and you can fit more things into that character count if you leave out some of the punctuation. So, And, and that goes with numbers, too. A lot more numbers are, are done with numerals as opposed to being spelled out when it comes to articles in books. It, it doesn't matter how many commas are in there or whether the, the numbers are spelled out. Um, the book is going to be about the same length, and if it's a few more pages, it doesn't make as much of a difference as if a newspaper article is longer. Right. Yeah, so, so true. That's such a great point. So what are some of the other punctuation rules that are different between books, articles, and magazines? Well, a lot of the capitalization is different. Um, even occasionally the wording is different, although that's, that's not always the case. One of them that, that really kind of uh, made me laugh was the word flyers, <clears throat> you know, something that you hand out to people versus something that flies in the air. Um, it was spelled in, um, in one dictionary the complete opposite from the way it was spelled in the other dictionary. The right. word flyers with an I would you know, mean one thing or the other. Um, and, but the Associated Press just recently caved in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to the way um, the Chicago Manual, so they 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 matched it up. So now now it's the same. It used to be opposite, which which actually kind of is funny because um, when the word email first started to become popular, right, uh, right. the dictionary, the Webster's Collegiate Dictionary actually capitalized it as a noun and lowercased it as a verb, uh -huh. which is very bizarre because it looked so inconsistent when you had both words, you know, in in the same manuscript. So fortunately. Right. They that and now it's all lowercase but uh, and now flyers with an i is people who fly um or objects that fly and flyers with a y are the pieces of paper on which you print something oh my goodness that's the opposite <laughs> of what i would have guessed oh wow i know, really. I know. okay wow we really have to look it up in the right dictionary <laughs> every time <laughs> awesome so talk to us about capitalization then what are some of the biggies 
Well, you know, the uh, Christian Writer's Manual of Style, if you're writing Christian material, is vital because they they cover, you know, when do you capitalize gospel or church, you know, words that specifically have to do with with um, with Christian Christian stuff. But capitalization uh, and capitalization is also different between the style guides as far as even in titles, things like that. So um, it's really important to make sure that you use the correct one. For you know, uh, one of the things I get a lot of time is uh, capitalizing family relationships in terms of endearment. You know, when you say, "Hey, mom," you know, are we going to bake a, a cake for my sister's birthday today? Do you capitalize "mom" or not? Mm-hmm. And when you're using it as her name, as in the sentence I just used, yes, you capitalize it. But if you were going to say, um, "Hey, my mom" or "her mom," then you lowercase the mom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that is such a nice rule because it, it, it holds firm. It's a good, solid rule. <laughs> a lot yeah. of the rules are not as solid as that one, but I like that one. Another one that I like is how to use the I and the me um, in a sentence. Can you go through that one with us real quick? Um, absolutely. Um, I is a is a subject pronoun and me is an object pronoun. So, you know, if you're saying um, I went to the, the theater that's the subject. You, you know, I is the subject, but um, my husband took me to the theater. That's the object, and that sounds really simple and basic and obvious. Unless you, and until you get to something like, um, my husband took my friend and I to the movies. That sounds right, but it's not because if you said mm-hmm. if you took out my friend and it would say my husband took I to the movies. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. So that is the way that I learned how to do that, too, was to just replace the word at the end yeah. um, and to see if it works to even does it work. I think I think the way I learned it is to remove husband. So I went to the movie. My husband and I went to the movie. I went to the movie. Whereas my husband right. and me went right. to the movie. That's, me went to the movie. doesn't work in that combination. And you'll see which one is correct. Right. Right. So what are some other um, what are some other punctuation rules that that people maybe trip up on a little bit? Uh, well, I find the, the small caps is one thing that, you know, those, those capital letters that are a little bit smaller than a regular capital letter. Uh, in the last Chicago Manual of Style, they recommended that things like AM, PM, and, um, and AD, BC, that they all be in small caps. And they changed that with the last edition of Chicago Manual of Style. Now they, they just want it to either be in all caps without periods or in lowercase with periods. Oh, wow. Okay. Do they have anything that's in the little, that's in the little caps anymore? Hmm. Kathy, I think I lost you there. Can you hear me? Well, I think we have lost Kathy for just a moment here. We'll see if we can get her back. And there, I'm hearing some clicking. Hello? There, we got you back. Okay, Sorry very good. Sorry about that. I think my phone's battery died or something. Oh, no. Well, I'm glad Sorry you could come, well, I got you. come back <laughs> another way. All right. So is there anything that's remained with the lower, with the smaller caps then? There's nothing anymore that, that they do with small caps. Uh, for a while, they were even doing like signs, if you wanted to say like a stop sign or the call button or things like that, and they don't use that anymore either, just initial cap. Hmm, cool, cool. Well, let's move along to, unless, did you have any other ones here that you were ready to share that you wanted to? Uh, that's just a few of the highlights. <laughs> I know your book, uh, Proofreading Secrets of Bestselling Authors, I'm sure has a lot more in there that we can yes, dive into later. Yes, a lot. 
Yeah. Okay, let's talk about why it's so important to proofread everything you send out. Well, um, the the things we talked about earlier about that professional impression with people, um, you know, and you know, increasing your chances of of acceptance by a publisher, but errors in punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling can also cause miscommunication. Um, if you if you have the comma in the wrong place, it can change the meaning of a sentence. It can be confusing, um, and it, it can even change change what you're saying i mean you know that one of the common expressions i see a lot you know let's eat grandma you know without the comma you're talking cannibalism there you know um, (laughs) grandma you know is a completely different (laughs) sentence so and um if you if you wrote uh, my husband richard took me out to dinner last night and you don't put commas around richard you're implying that you have more than one husband hmm so, you know, just some of those things that, you know, you don't even think about and you say, well, that, it should be obvious. Well, yes, but um, you're still communicating something different. So it really is important to make sure that, that you have, and, and it can be embarrassing. If you're a writer, words and punctuation marks are the tools of your trade. You really, it's important that you use them properly and that other people see that you're using them properly. Even if you're sending out emails or you've got blog posts, you may think, well, you know, it's a blog post. You know, my readers will be courteous. They'll, they'll know what I mean. But you never know when a publisher might be reading that blog post and thinking, this is great content. This would make a great book, but this woman doesn't know a comma from a semicolon. You know, you want them to really see whatever it, you write that's out there. I mean, if you're writing an email to a friend, who cares, right, as long as your friend doesn't care. But if it's anything that someone else might read, it really is important. And especially in the books you write, uh, it's important to have that in there because if someone's reading a book and they know the correct rules of punctuation, grammar, and spelling, and they see errors in your book, those are going to jump out at them. I know that happens to me all the time. I'm reading a book and there's so many errors in it, I can't focus on the content because I'm just pulled away by the errors and I end up not reading the rest of the book because I just can't get my mind to overlook those. It really is one of the biggest, um, I'd say, problems with self-publishing yes. is is that it used to be when everything went through a major publishing house, that yeah. baby was pub- that was, that was edited multiple times. It multiple Absolutely. eyes, yeah. eyes saw it, and it was edited in multiple angles. Um, mm-hmm. The different the different styles of editing that happened there to it, you know, everything from punctuation to the credibility of the statistics, everything was edited. Yeah. And now, when when we're able to publish our own books, a lot of times the editing is what gets skimped on and it's really a big difference in the reader's experience. Um, For somebody who wants to publish their own book, doesn't have a big budget, what what are some ways that you've heard of to get the editing done reasonably? Well, you're right. There are so many levels of editing from, you know, just the overall content right down to the nitty-gritty fact-checking, as you pointed out. Um, And it's wonderful if you can afford to hire a professional proofreader, professional editor, professional content editor, as well as line-by-line copy editor. But, yeah, that can can get expensive. Um, One of the first suggestions I would have for a writer is show what you've written to a critique group fellow authors who also want to get 
published, and you read their stuff, and they read your stuff, and you can really get a lot of the content stuff. And they can say, "Hey, did you check your facts on this one? You know, did you, you know what source? You know, did you find this in? Maybe you ought to put that source in a citation somewhere." So you can get a lot from just feedback from other authors. And also show your manuscript to members of your target audience. If you're writing a book for parents of preschoolers, then show your manuscript to some parents of preschoolers and find out from them, at least about content-wise, you know, what should be in here, what's not in here. You know, do you have any questions about, the, you know, was I clear here? Did I lose your interest there? You know, get some feedback from that. And then once you've got the – and then get a copy of the Chicago Manual Style or get a copy of my Proofreading Secrets of Bestselling Authors and check the – check the spelling, check the grammar, check everything as much as you can yourself. And then I still recommend, if possible, hiring an editor and or a proofreader just to go over it one more time before it goes out. In addition to having an extra set of eyes, it will be a professional set of eyes who can check for the things. But if you've already checked a lot of those things yourself in a critique group and with your target audience, it will be pretty clean, so it will cost you less when you have a professional editor to look over one more time. Mm, so great. One of the things I did in the most recent book I published, Flow Through Vessel, is it had a Bible study guide at the end. And so I actually stood up in front of my church and said, I need, you know, 25 volunteers each yes. to take a chapter. And uh, so every chapter had two volunteers to go through it. They timed how long it took them to do it. They um, put a question mark where they were confused. They put a star uh, uh, next to things that they really liked. They put uh red lines or highlights or exclamation points next to things that they thought were wrong. And boy, was that ever helpful. Um, I was able to, I was able to moderate um, the amount of time for each lesson so that the timing was closer. So they were consistent, you know, so one lesson didn't take two and a half hours, the next one mm-hmm. take 20 minutes. Uh, right. th- that kind of input, the, the more eyes you have on it, the better. And it is really fun for people to be involved with writing a book and make sure you know that you give them credit uh, but it really does it really added to the to the value of the book and to how the book uh was was received by the reader in the end to have that many people participate and it was so good i i loved one of the comments i just burst out laughing one of the comments was um make up your mind and i had a list and and in it in it i had um i had different different types of things describing you know maybe maybe this was uh, i i had different words like maybe this was an asian or um, and, and I had different words, but I had used three different types of descriptions. I had used nationality, I had used uh, location, and I had used another another thing there too. And he's just said, uh, the proofreader said, just make up your mind, use one use one way to describe right. this. And you know, I mean, things that you didn't, I didn't never even thought of that. I never even exactly. thought of that. I needed to be so. It just helps to have extra eyes doing it. And I know you uh, do. You do that for people. Is that part of what you do? Is actual editing or not so much that? Well, um, I do I do all types of editing. I do everything from the content editing down to the the, the proofreading, the basic proofreading for typos and and uh, inconsistencies and inaccuracies and punctuation and all that kind of stuff. So um, I I like to do kind of all of it at the same time, partly because I think that's uh, mm-hmm. more efficient and it also helps my um, my clients, my authors to be able to get the whole package at once instead of just saying, okay, well now that I've paid for a content edit, now I got to pay for a copy edit, and now I got to pay for a proofreading. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I like to kind of do it all at once. And I, to be honest, have a hard time 
compartmentalizing that. I can't look at a manuscript and say, okay, I'm going to ignore all the typos in here, and I'm going to ignore where the commas <laughs> go, and I'm just going to do a content right. edit. I just can't do that. Right, right. That's right. Well, I can't just do a basic proofread. I can't just mark the corrections of typos and mechanical errors without putting in some comments on, you know, I really think this would be written better if you did this. Well, that, you know, that's really the sign of a true, of a true editor, because um, that's, I remember when my first book, I got the contract for the first book, and uh, the editor called me from St. Martin's Press and said, as I was reading your book, I had to grab a pen and start making notes, because I knew <laughs> this was going to be a good book. And so when somebody, you know, when somebody takes the time, you know, actually starts to uh, write things in there for you when they're reading through, that's a good yeah. sign. If it's so full of problems that they can't, don't even know where to begin, that's kind of a exactly. bad sign. And you know it's funny when when someone you know I get a new author working with me and I'll and I'll mark up their manuscript and I send it to them before they even look at it you know in the very in the email the body of the email I say now before you look at this you know keep in mind that if if I didn't if I didn't really have a passion for what you've written I wouldn't be bothering putting in all these comments right. about how I think it could be better so the more markings exactly. there are on here actually the more I like it right. Right. And I, I remember one time um, uh, an author that I knew who had published many books uh, and very well uh, uh, selling books, good selling books. And she showed she showed me her main, her latest manuscript that came back from her editor and it was read from cover to cover. <laughs> and, and I was just so shocked. I just figured that, you know, by the time you were at her level, you wouldn't be needing any input anymore. Just address that. Address that thought for a moment. Well, that is a common misperception um, because no matter how good your manuscript might be, how matter how good your writing might be, I think there's always ways it could be improved. And a lot of times when I'm marking up a manuscript, it might be, oh, if you just move this little sentence or this little phrase or this paragraph to another place, it might flow better. But what that looks like on the screen or on your piece of paper is this is all scratched out and this is all added right. in. And yeah. so it looks worse than it really is when yeah. something's just moved around a little bit. And then if you also on top of that are saying, oh, and by the way, that word's misspelled and this comma's in the wrong place, they're each little things, but they all show up as a big red mark. So I really prefer, when I was working on hard copy, I never used red ink because that's... Oh. That just has a connotation. I used blue or green (laughs) or something softer than that. Um, Unfortunately, with track changes on an electronic document, it shows up in whatever (laughs) color the person opening the file has it set for. So it still might be full of red marks. But um, but as as we were saying, you know, if if I looked at a manuscript and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I don't even know what to do with this content. I'm just going to mark the missing punctuation and Mm -hmm. misspelled words. So if there aren't very many marks, then that's a sign that maybe you really need more work on the content. But if there are a lot of marks, it's that the the editor was so impassioned about this manuscript, they had some ideas for how it can be improved. And as the author, it's your book, it's your manuscript, um, it's your content. It's your job to look at the editor's comments and say, do I agree with that? Or do I do I think maybe I, the way I had it was right? Or maybe do I understand why the editor chose to mark that? And, okay, maybe it didn't make sense, but maybe I don't want to do it quite the way the editor suggested. Maybe I want to do it a different way. 
So it's hmm. keeping your own voice. A good editor will keep your voice but also suggest ways to improve it so that what you want to say communicates best to your reader. Oh, that's such great uh, content there that you just shared. And I was thinking about the other type of um, the other type of person who's going to read, just like a friend maybe, if you have a friend read, a lot of times they aren't going to mark it at all. They're just going to give it back to you and say, that was really good. I really liked it yeah. because it's just too intimidating for them to oh, <laughs> flash your stuff. You know, they just yeah. want to encourage you as a writer. So just know that if a friend gives it back to you and says it's ready to roll, take it to print, then you probably shouldn't go with that advice. <laughs> Well, you know, if you need encouragement, and we authors need encouragement a lot. We do. So if you just want somebody to give you encouragement, show it to your mom, show it to your best friend, and say right. what you think, because they'll tell you wonderful things. Um, but if you really want to look for how can it be improved and, you know, where are the typos and where did you get lost, it really is important to get someone who's not a close personal friend or family member because there's not that feeling of, well, I'm going to hurt your feelings if I mark too many things. or And, and also to get get the actual corrections from someone who knows the industry standard rules and probably right. your best friends and your parents don't you know they don't know where the commas go they don't know the writing techniques that a professional editor would know absolutely love it well this is marnie swedberg visiting today with kathy eyed of kathy com. k-a-t-h-y-i-d-e.com we're going to come right back and talk about the most common punctuation errors writers make and commonly misused words we'll be right back okay in today's featured resources are the ebooks and i've written over 13 ebooks now all available to you over at Marnie.com. You can buy them individually or you can, uh, they are all part of the mentorship program over there. The ebooks include one about what the topic of today ebooks, Idea to Amazon in 14 Days, a story of how I was hired to um, teach class on ebooks and wrote the, wrote the book on how to do it. And I had it published in 14 days and the paperback came out seven days later. And you can get your book on Amazon very quickly, too. Uh, other books there include Feeling Loved, Flow Through Vessel, Gasping for Grace, Girls Games, Gifts of Encouragement, Kitchen Shortcuts, Minute Memoirs, Write Tools for Ministry, Sane Social Networking Success, Scavenger Hunts, and the ebook. Um, retreats made easy and that's all available to you individually or else as part of the mentorship program at marnie.com okay welcome back Kathy we're going to talk about the most common punctuation errors that writers make so why don't you start us off with the biggie <laughs> well I think um, one of the things is something I alluded to earlier um, it's 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 what in the uh, English professors call restrictive and non-restrictive appositives which, you know, just sounds like a, you know, a lot of mumbo jumbo, but basically an appositive is a noun or a noun phrase that immediately follows another noun or noun phrase in order to define it or further identify it. Um, my example I used earlier was, you know, my husband Richard took me out to dinner. Um, my husband's name is Richard, so either my husband or Richard could be taken out of that sentence without changing its meaning. So you could say, my husband took me out to dinner, or Richard took me out to dinner means the same thing. And because Richard could be taken out of that sentence, it needs to have a commas around it. Now, if the appositive has a restrictive function, which means it identifies the noun more specifically, it's not set off by commas. So if I was going to write, my son Michael is eight years younger than his brother, 
you know from the context I have more than one son. And so I'm referring to one of my sons. I have multiple sons. And so my son, Michael, the information, Michael, is needed in that sentence for you to tell which of my sons I'm referring to. So you would not use commas around that one. Wow. That is a really great. I've never heard it described quite like that. And that is really helpful. Uh, because I always, I often do sit there and look at it and go, I wonder which way this is. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, if you could put parentheses around it, you know, mm-hmm. like my husband, parentheses Richard, you know, then you know, okay, well, if you could put parentheses around it and wouldn't change the meaning, mm. instead of the parentheses, put the commas. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. really great, said, you know, great my tip. Son, parentheses Michael, well, the Michael adds more information, you know, that's needed for the sentence. So then you do okay. have yep. one. Yeah, cool. What's another one? Um, well, another one I see a lot is, um, is, is uh, let me see, well, we talked about the serial comma, that one I see probably more often than anything else. Um, and, oh, and, and on that, a positive thing, you know, sometimes you're not sure whether there's more than one thing. Um, for example, if I wrote, uh, you know, if, if I was writing, well, my book, Proofreading Secrets of Bestselling Authors, is, you know, a tremendous blessing for, for writers, how do you know whether that's my only book? Because if it's my only mm, book, right. you around it. If it's not my only book, you don't. And so I just suggest as much as possible, research and find out. Hmm. Okay. That a lot of times you'll still see those commas because people say, well, my book, comma, you know, proofreading secrets, comma, you know, because, you, well, I'm referring to my book. And, and they don't realize that if if you don't put the commas around there, then um, you're implying that, you know, depending on whether you put the commas, that makes it, – it says something different. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Are there any other punctuation errors that come right to mind? Um, well, one is uh, when you have, like, uh, C.S. Lewis, for instance, and you put the C period, S period, there's a space between the C period and the S period, and most people I find don't do that. Hmm. Um, spacing between sentences is another thing. You know, I, okay, I'm going to show my age here, but I was taught two spaces between sentences. Right. <laughs> and so that's for a long time it was so hard for me um, because the rules changed, and it's now one space between sentences. has been for years now. But it was really hard for me to get used to that. Fortunately, you can do the find and replace feature, and right. I still, in the manuscripts I edit, I'll still you know, see sometimes, you know, two spaces between sentences. And so you just do the find and you put two spaces in the find box and one space in the replace box. And then you just hit replace all until it goes down to zero. You know, I, I use that for my, my uh, lists as well. When I have a comma, comma, and I, I go ahead and I don't change them all. I just go ahead and go through it all and just make sure that I did it, that I did it right. Always a good idea. Always a good idea. And the yeah. other thing that I find a lot is uh, the difference between dashes and ellipses. Um, you know, there are oh, times when an ellipsis that three dots, you know, are used. And, and that's used for if you've just got kind of fragmented or faltering speech or if, you know, you've got somebody who starts a sentence and then just doesn't quite finish, he trails off. That's when you use the ellipsis. A dash is used when the person's speech is interrupted. They start to speak, and then someone else interrupts them. Then you use that dash, that M dash, which is uh, the longer, longer dash. 
You use that for interruptions, for breaks in thought, things like that. The N dash, which is a little bit shorter, that's used when you have um, like 1981 to 1982 and you use a dash in there. It's not a hyphen. It's the shorter N dash. Or if you have like pages 31 to 33 or in a scripture reference that has, you know, a range of verses, you use a shorter N dash for that. And on the spacing on those, is the M dash leaving a space on either side and the N dash not leaving a space? Well, that's another difference with books versus articles. Um, but in book manuscripts, no space before or after either dash. But you do put a space before and after the ellipses. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but with the Associated Press, so for newspapers or journalistic articles, they do have a dash before and after. And they don't use the N dash. They only use the longer M dash. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and to, to create right? the yeah, right. To create the M dash, you make a dash and then you leave a space and then you type the next word. Is that correct? Is that that's how mine works? Well, yeah. There's actually there's a few different ways to do it. You can type a word and then a space dash space, and that'll get you one of the dashes. Or if you type a word without a space and do the the double hyphen, then you get the longer one. So that's one way to do it. You can also do it with um, the number keypad with the little minus sign on your number keypad. If you do a control and that hyphen on your number keypad, it gets you one of the it gets you the shorter end dash. If you do control alt and that hyphen in the uh, the minus sign in your number pad, then you can get the longer M dash. And those are all explained in in my proofreading secrets book as well. Oh, great! That's awesome. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to kind of some commonly misused words. We're going to talk in a little bit about misspelled words, but right now let's focus on misused words. Well, I I see a lot of these, a lot of words misused in everyday writing, and actually every day is one of my examples. <laughs> Um, I can't tell you how many even advertising signs for big corporations I've seen that say low prices every day, and they spell it as one word. But every day as one word is an adjective. It's like everyday low prices, you can say, because it defines the low prices. But if you're using every day not as an adjective, if you're using it as a noun phrase, it needs to be two words every day. And I see that so often in the manuscripts I edit, but also even in, in advertising and everywhere, you know, I look. Um, another one like that is the word a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that so often. A while, one word means for a period of time, whereas a while is two words just means a period of time. So if you're doing something for a while and you spell a while as one word, you're saying I'm doing it for, for a while. For four mm-hmm. time. Interesting. <clears throat> huh. Yeah. What are some? Go ahead. Well, into is another one that that I, actually kind of creates some funny things every once in a while. Um, whether you spell it again as one word or two words, the word into, um, you know, you can go in. You can go into into the word into as one word means going inside of something. Indicates movement or direction into something, or or a change, or a change in condition or form. So, if you wrote Sonia transformed her rough draft into a publishable manuscript, she transformed it into she changed it. There's a change. But um, you, if you say Judith turned her manuscript into the publisher, yeah, right. Then you're turning it in to the publisher. If you wrote that as one word, you'd basically be saying that she turned her manuscript into a publisher. 
she, she turned the publisher into a manuscript. <laughs> Her so publisher is now a But, you know, um, <laughs> definitely misuse of the word. Uh, another one that I find um, with, again, the one word or two word is underway. Most people spell oh. it all the time as one word. I see it all the time spelled that way. But um, actually, most of the time, you want to use, spell that as two words because underway is one word, again, is an adjective. And underway operation, perhaps. Um, but it has to be an adjective, so there has to be a noun that it describes if you spell it as one word. Mm. That's, that's and one of, one of my favorites is is anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> that one I see quite a bit. Um, again, anymore as two words is means any additional. I don't want to hear any more backtalk from you. Um, anymore as one word is an adverb. It means any longer. I don't want to listen to you anymore. Um, if you said, if, if you wrote, you know, that Sam didn't want to listen anymore and you spelled it as one word, that would kind of be implying that Sam wants to be deaf. Huh. <laughs> okay, so any more as one word is any longer. Any longer, yeah. and it's an adverb. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas yep. any more two words is an adjective phrase. So it describes a noun versus describing a verb. Oh my goodness! Well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. I mean, I know when I when I wrote Brooks' idea to Amazon in 14 days, the one thing I said is, if you scrimp anywhere, do not scrimp on the editing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you shorter or if you have to not include an illustration or something, do that, but don't scrimp on the editing because the editing is just so so critically important. Great this design. is Marnie Swedberg visiting today with Kathy Ide of KathyEyde.com, the author of Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors. We're going to come back and talk about the funniest type of grammar mistakes and commonly misspelled words. We'll be right back. Okay, a quick calendar update here to let you know what's coming your way next week. We're going to have an interview with Frankie Picasso. For those of you who want to do a podcast or a radio show or already have one, eight ways to grow your radio listenership to wow. She's awesome. She'll be with us next week. Also coming up in two weeks is Mission Vision Boot Camp. Learn about that over at Marnie.com. And right now, that's still early bird special at 50 bucks off. So check out Mission Vision Boot Camp at Marnie.com. 2016's Bible Study Expo coming up 317, March 17th, over at BibleStudyExpo.com. And if you'd like to be considered as a guest trainer for the show, go ahead and go to Marnie'sFriends.com, all the way to the bottom, and put guest suggestion. Okay, right now we are going to come back for our final session here with Kathy Ide, author of Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors and from KathyIde.com, K-A-T-H-Y-I-D-E.com. Kathy, let's talk about the funniest type of grammar mistake. Well, in my opinion, that's what's called the dangling modifier. Um, whenever I'm reading a manuscript and, and editing it and I see one of these, it just almost always makes me chuckle because the author obviously didn't realize what the sentence they wrote actually meant. Um, I, I, when you start a sentence with a modifying word or phrase, it's the subject of the sentence that needs to be modified by that word or phrase. And a dangling modifier is what they call a phrase that doesn't clearly and sensibly modify the appropriate word in the sentence. So, like, for example, if, if I wrote, changing the oil every 3,000 miles, the Mustang seemed to run better. 
um, Mustang is the subject of the sentence. And by saying changing the oil every 3,000 miles, the Mustang seemed to run better, you're implying that the Mustang changed its own oil every 3,000 miles. Say the sentence again. Changing the oil every 3,000 miles, the Mustang seemed to run better. <laughs> yep, okay. See, it sounds like there, a it. perfectly logical <laughs> sentence, and you know what they meant, but what they're saying is that the Mustang changed its oil every 3,000 miles. I've owned two Mustangs. Neither one of them changed its own oil. No, I've owned two Mustangs as well. We are kindred oh, oh, spirits. <laughs> um, and another example, um, you know, walking to work, the eucalyptus trees reminded Nicole of a scene from a Brandlin Collins novel. Well, you know, the eucalyptus trees is a subject there, and even in Brandlin's novels, I haven't read one yet where the eucalyptus trees walked to work. Yep. So, you know, it, that it just makes you chuckle. Um, and... <clears throat> For example, and, and then another example that I have: um, after forty days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus. Oh, well, we know what that right. means. But Satan's not the one who fasted for forty days in the wilderness, right? So you'd yeah. have to switch that around. Um, um, as a writer, words and punctuation marks are the tools of our trade. As a writer, is your is your introductory sentence, but words and punctuation marks are the subject. And they're not a writer. Talk to us a little bit about beginning sentences with prepositions, because I know, I know that like in in school we're taught mostly don't do that. Yes, um, that's one of several um, of the rules that we're taught in school. That in today's writing, we've really relaxed a lot of those rules. Ending with a preposition is another one. You know, we used to be, oh, you were never allowed to end a sentence with a preposition. Um, but then, you know, somebody you know, somebody finally realized that a lot of times that makes a sentence really awkward. And I don't remember off the top of my head who said it, but somebody wrote, you know, this is the type of, of editing I, with which I will not put up. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> so you just have to realize that sometimes it it's okay, and especially starting a sentence um, with a preposition has totally become okay. You can start with but, you can start with and, you can start with a sentence. You can even have sentence fragments, which used to be a no-no. Um, right. You don't want to overdo that um, and have a lot of sentence fragments all in a row because your your reader will get out of breath after a while. But there are some you know some grammar myths that we've been we've grown up with that really have have been relaxed in recent years because it really is more important that you write in a way that communicates well to your reader um, while being in general grammatically correct. But you can kind of you know you don't have to go with those those rules that that just make it sound awkward. If it, if it makes a sentence sound awkward, reword the sentence and and you know it's okay if you don't quite follow all of the specific grammar rules. It's so interesting in this um, the last book I wrote, I had so many um, friend editors uh, input into it, and that was the most common thing that people would say was. Uh, don't start with a but. Don't start with an and, and don't use a don't use a uh, fragment of any yep. kind. And Absolutely. it's funny because that really has relaxed. And I, I would I was right back and you know just say you know thank you for that input. That that is so true. And like in a scholarly work, that would be true. Yes. This one is more of a conversational type of a book. It needs to flow more uh, gently, yes. like like that. And I think there is that big distinction. 
There is, and and if you are writing a scholarly work, yes, of course you want to make sure that everything is absolutely correct, and um, and yet in a more popular style, it's it's a little more relaxed. It's more important that it sound you know sound, that it flow well and that it communicates well, and people aren't looking at it and going, wow, she certainly did all of the grammar rules right. No, that's not that's not the message you right. want. In the book. <laughs> you want them to look at the content, and one of the the controversial things right now is using a plural pronoun for a singular antecedent um you know we use they to refer to he or she or anyone or no one you know we 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 use plural pronouns like they or them uh, just because it's easier we use that in verbal speech all the time um but in writing there are ways you can get around that without having to use the whole he or she or he slash she you know there are ways to reword the sentence to get around it but it's a little bit harder work um, to find those ways to, to make it work and have it be still be smooth and have it look nice. Um, there are ways around it, but it takes more work. My suggestion, take the work. Spend the time. Because there will be readers who will look at that and say, oh, this author used a plural pronoun to refer to a singular you know, noun, and, and you know, they'll, they'll pick up on that. They'll notice that. And so if you can reword it in a way that still sounds good and still flows well and is grammatically correct that's the ideal to shoot for if if you can put it in context of what you expect versus what you get i think that's the best way as as you're as you're writing your book or as you're doing whatever business in life people have come to it with an expectation and if yours is the weird one, yours is the different one, yours is the one that sticks out as being not the same as the other ones, that's really where the problem comes. And and you want to have yours be in line with what the reader expects to the degree that the reader, like you said earlier, can relax and enjoy the book yes. instead of being affronted constantly by, why is she doing that or why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. And And I think that's why we have... Um, guidelines. That's why we have a Chicago right. Manual of Style. Is is because somebody somewhere has to decide where should what the is the norm. Go. And right. <laughs> and I think, like you said earlier about the self publishing, if if a self publishing author ignores the rules, the reader might not pick up. Well, no, that comma doesn't need to be there, or that's a dangling modifier, or why did they use a plural pronoun? They may not know why they have a problem with it, but something in the back of their mind, because they're used to reading well-polished, mm-hmm. well-edited, well-proofread books, if they read a self-published book that's not well-edited, there's just going to be something in the back of their minds that's going to say, you know what, this just doesn't seem professional. I'm not sure why. But you'll yeah. get that impression. And one of the things that this this was a huge help to me, and it's just a little thing, it's the word that, but mm. to remove the word that as often as possible. So in this sentence, I could say, I want to do, um, I want to do that in order that you would understand um, how to go forward. And you could just remove the, that from the second phrase in order to understand how to go forward. Uh, when you put the that in there, it does, and, and it's, it's a way of speaking that used to be common, but yes. it's becoming less common. And so just address the that for a second. 
Well, um, I heard that rule a few years ago with my own writing, and so I was going through and taking out all the that's in my book because, you know, I thought, well, it'll flow more smoothly. And what I've found is that you can go overboard with that too. Pretty right. much anything you do, you can <laughs> go overboard with. And I recently edited a manuscript where the author had taken out, I think, every single that in the entire manuscript. And <laughs> there were some places where it really needed to was be. needed for the flow of the sentence. As I started to read the sentence, I misread it, and they had to go back and go, oh, wait, oh, this is what she meant. And so I think it just with every sentence and with every rule, you have to look at your own writing and say, okay, how does this flow most smoothly? How does this communicate best? And, and, you know, and follow the grammar rules, but follow them in a way that really makes your writing reflect your voice and also come across very smooth flowing and get that content across the way you intended it to get across. Love it. Love it. What are a couple misspelled words here in our last few minutes? Well, you know, it's funny. The words that are most often, that I see most often misspelled are the ones that people wouldn't think to look up. Um, backyard, for instance, hmm. is always one word, never two words. Um, handmade is one word, but man-made is hyphenated. Um, lightning, I quite often see lightning with an extra E in the middle, lightening. Um, and it's with or without an apostrophe, I see that misspelled a lot. Um, and prophecy versus prophesy. Prophecy is spelled with a C and prophesy with an S. Um, and T-shirt, I see T-shirt spelled a half dozen different ways. It's capital T hyphen S-H-I-R-T, according to Webster's Collegiate. So, you know, the, the words that you think, oh, I know how to spell that. I know how to spell backyard. I know how to spell prophecy. I know how to spell T-shirt. Um, look up the words you don't think, that you think you know how to spell, and you might be surprised at some of the things that you find. Well, the word I'm always going to have to look up from now on is flyer, because I, I am, yes. it's in my head backwards from... <laughs> And I actually use that word a lot. I, I already know over at the Bible Study Expo, we got to change that because it's definitely L-I-E-R over there. <laughs> shoot, shoot, shoot. Okay. Well, the the main thing is to just keep your keep your eyes open and your ears open to the changes that are going on. Um, you guys want to be sure to get Kathy's book, Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors. Real quickly, um, what's the Fiction Lovers devotional series? Um, that is something uh, just came out. The first book came out last June. Um, they are short fiction stories with life applications, each one written by a different author. And I have some big-name best-selling authors. I have some mid-range multi-published authors, and I have some brand-new authors in each book. And uh, it's a devotional format, and, but it's with fiction stories as opposed to true stories. There's a lot of devotionals out there with true stories, and that's great. <laughs> But fiction lovers love their fiction, but, you know, reading a chapter of a novel just doesn't seem like the appropriate thing to do in your devotion time. Uh, so this gives you a chance to read, you know, a short fiction story and then really see how that story can apply to your life and what things you can get out of it from your life, um, you know, from the story and relating to the characters. So it's a fun project I've done. Uh, the first book was 21 Days of Grace. Uh, then we did 21 Days of Christmas last December. Uh, January 1st was 21 Days of Love, Stories that Celebrate Treasured Relationships. So great Valentine's Day book. And the next one comes out April 1st, which is 21 Days of Joy, Stories that Celebrate Mom. Ah, oh, so awesome. Well, you guys want to go check that all out over at KathyEye.com. Kathy, thank you so much for being here today. This was oh, awesome content. So yeah, this is great. And I can tell you love what you do and that you're good at it. So you guys want to go check that out. Thanks for being here, Kathy. Thank you so much, Marnie. 
And thank you all for joining us. It's always fun to have a live audience here over at Blog Talk Radio when we're doing the live show on Wednesday afternoons. And uh, there's always enough of you here to put us on the front page for that. Thank you so much for coming live. And to those of you who listen to the archives at Stitcher, at iTunes, and around the web, thank you so much. Have a wonderful time and the rest of your day, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.